A woman who has circumnavigated the world, an athlete half of her life, and an artist who believes in creating art that promotes sustainability, Elena Brambilia is certainly more than what meets the eye. Get to know more about her journey in this episode and listen as we talk about discipline and attention to details as tools to get better in your craft, drawing inspiration and color patterns from places in different cultures, art as a way to promote awareness to care for the environment, the cycle of learning and teaching what you've learned, why detailing your work isn't scary, and embracing imperfections in your art by knowing what's good for you. If you want to be part of the conversation, then send in your questions and topics you want us to cover to hello at etcherlab.com. February is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the love month than writing love letters? Yes, you got it right. This love month, we are celebrating with our community by reading your art love letters here on the podcast. So in the spirit of love and sharing, head on over to etcherlab.com slash artloveletter and submit your messages to your favorite artist. We are so excited and can't wait to read all of them. Hey, this is Jesse from Etcher. We believe in your power to create, so we invited artists from all around the globe to inspire you to keep on creating. Join us in this journey and let's celebrate creativity. This is Make More Art, the podcast. I, I'm really painting and drawing since I'm a little kid because my family is a family of, uh, let's say, artists. My mom is an interior designer, my sister an architect, my father um, mechanical designer. So since I was a small kid, I always was able to play with pens and pencils and brushes. And uh, this has been my big passion for years. But then I started professional athletics. So I've become a professional athlete for 17 years. So uh, painting and drawing has always been something on the side, like to help me calm down or to focus on my sport. And uh, in 2015, uh, my husband, me and my son, we left for a circumnavigation on our sailing boat and we sailed uh, half the world for five years. And uh, this journey didn't allow me to paint too much because I was badly seasick. So painting was something I couldn't do on the boat. <laughs> but it helped me to get more in contact with nature in the meaning that I met. Um, I had the chance to see uh, places that usually I would have not been able to see. So the flora, the fauna, and on the way I also became a scuba diving instructor. So I could, you know, watch also the underwater uh, life, which is not for everybody or not everybody can see. And I simply felt in love even more with nature. On the way, I started to sew a lot. And this is why my brand is called the Sewing Sailor. But once we arrived in New Zealand, I picked up again and actually during the first lockdown in New Zealand in 2020 I gave it a go to watercolors and um, because watercolors are the medium that I felt more close to me being on the water for so long so I had to play with water again but with colors with brushes and I wanted to try a new medium and I wanted to express in my paintings all this what I had the chance to see during my travel what is part of my legacy as um, a small kid, but I've learned back in Italy. Um, my mom, gardener, so I've always been in the garden with her. So this is what now I'm trying to express in my heart. The nature, the animals, what surrounds me here in New Zealand, beautiful country full of beautiful 
beautiful okay, birds, for example, fishes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, since one year and a half now, I'm doing watercolors and I'm so much in love with this medium. Wow. A year and a half. And looking at your works, I was just fascinated by how detailed they are. And just hearing your story, Elena, growing up in a family where of artists, of creatives, and but different, different genre, but at the same time, an athlete, which is wow. So I'm so mind blown because this is the first time I think I've, I've met like a, <laughs> an artist, an athlete for 17 years and it's high jump, right? I, I think yes. I've read. Oh, wow. What led you to that? Before we dive into the art side, what led you to do? Is it something that you've always loved to do as well? That you, have you always dreamt of being an athlete when you were young? No, to be honest, nobody in my family was an athlete or <laughs> anything connected to sport. <laughs> but um, yeah, I started to do a competition in the school. And I jump, I was good. So I've been contacted from my first uh, club back in Italy. And then I said, okay, let's give it a go. And then it's just everything rolled. I was good. I loved it. I enjoyed it. And then it became my work. Mm-hmm. I have a, a quick question because I know for, for athletes, like that, that requires training and discipline. How much of that uh, training and experience that you've had being an athlete for 17 years influence with now the passion that you're pursuing, which is art, specifically watercolor? Yeah, I think this is uh, my progress in watercolor is due to my career in sport, in the meaning that I read from many artists. When I started, I just took podcasts or listened to podcasts or watch other artists and listen what they had to teach me. And they were all saying, to get better, you have to train. So even only 10 minutes daily, but you have to practice. And this came for me just like, okay, I did it for 17 years in the sport. Why should I not do it now with my heart? And I think, as you said, this this discipline is what brought me to get better fast. Um, I still have to improve a lot, for sure. But the fact of training every single day and pay attention and pay attention to the details, just like when I was an athlete, makes me feel this is my new normality. This is my normality. And this is what I like. I like when you pointed out paying attention to details, because that is really visible in the works that you do as a watercolor mm-hmm. illustrator, because they're very detailed. And you can really tell that you took some time, that you were very intentional with every stroke. And like what you said, as an athlete for 17 years, that is something that you also considered and paid attention to, the details. Now, talking about traveling around the world, what led, I'm interested to know, what led you to that decision? It's something that I think a lot of people like, I've been dreaming of like to travel and right now especially with the pandemic it's kind of hard to go around you know to travel and to different places but you did for five years which is amazing so take me through that decision making and what was like the the reason behind that decision to travel to your sailboat for five years with the entire family so traveling has been always part of my life because being a professional athlete, I've been traveling since I was 14. Uh-huh. And um, so being away from the family was something that for sure I miss my family, but it's something part of me. And I love meeting new culture, meeting people and just discovering the world we are living in. 
I don't believe in sitting in my room and I know everything. I believe in go out and explore. But a big reason was also that my husband and me, we decided to perform a circumnavigation uh, with the scope to help people around the world. So we grounded a no-profit association and we sailed around the world and um, mainly in uh, third world countries where we donated prosthetic leg for free to people who were amputee and had no chance to buy a prosthetic leg. So this was the big motivation we had behind this travel, helping, and that's what we did for five years. That was amazing. And I'm sure a lot of people have really benefited from, from that travel that you did. And you said it was to a nonprofit organization and you were giving away prosthetic legs, which a lot of people, especially in third world countries, it's felt it's very expensive to get one. And some do not even have access to that, you know, technology to create prosthetic legs. That's just amazing. How many countries have you visited if you have that? top of your mind to be honest i don't know <laughs> i don't know i didn't count them <laughs> i don't know but started in europe and we sailed till new zealand passing through so europe africa caribbean central america and all the pacific highlands so, yes so many <laughs> wow are you the type of traveler who will pick something from the different places that you've been or more of you like who would journal, some artists would, you know, draw and paint some of the places that they've been, or what type of traveler are you, Elena? Ah, okay, so if we talk about my art, what I picked up for sure, it's the love for colors. So my heart is full of colors. Um, I tend to reproduce natural colors. So I'm not talking about fluorescence or other things, but you know, uh, when you watch nature, there are so beautiful greens and red and pinks. And I love to, to reproduce these colors. And for sure, my first painting, for example, was a series of tropical plants. Mm -hmm. And they reminded me so much on the Caribbean and in Tahiti. So what I do, I just take the memories or something which really capture my attention during my travels. And I love to just put it on paper so part is yeah go ahead go ahead now part of my paintings is my um childhood back home and a lot is what i now visit here in new zealand what i see every day in new zealand yes new zealand such i've never been but i i have friends who are staying in new zealand and when they take photos when they go outdoors or hike or just stay you know do a picnic with family Everything looks like a painting. <laughs> I was like, this is a perfect place to really go out and do plein air and to do watercolor illustration. Now, is it, I believe it's safe to say that the, the works that we're seeing, those that you have published and those that are on your Etsy shop are a reflection of your travels. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yes. And your advocacy for, for the environment, especially the ocean, where did that come from? So the love for the ocean actually came during the travel. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, we were sailing. I was born in the north of Italy, away from the sea more close to the lakes. So I always loved water, but I never pay much attention to the underwater world. And during the travel instead, um, I started to, to dive. And the moment I, I put my mask and I dove the first time, I said, okay, I want to go the whole way. I want to become an instructor. I want to promote uh, conservation of the oceans. 
So for example, I'm also helping uh, building up and reconstructing the, um, the reef. Or uh, we took really, both my husband and me, we took care of um, sensibilizing people to uh, pollution, plastic pollution in the ocean, which is a big problem. And, you know, living on a boat, you are in touch with the ocean, yeah. with sea life, with pollution every day. So it just came part of, part, part of me, of my family. I love all the layers that you have uh, within you, um, Elena. You're an athlete and you grew up in a family of creatives. And then you sailed, circumnavigate all around the globe and then became a scuba instructor and now watercolorist and a teacher because I know you will be teaching with us. So the teaching part, was it something that you've sort of toyed in your, in your mind or an idea that, this is something that I'm really good at and maybe I can teach this to someone else. Or what was like the thought process behind when, when Etcher approached you to, to teach watercolor? Yeah, I have always in mind this motto, let's say like that, that if you learn something, you should pass it on to other people. There is no point in learning and keep it secret for yourself um, because you think, I don't know, someone can copy you or someone can be better than me. There is no such a thing in my life. If someone is better, I'm happy to, to help this person to get even better. Then maybe I can learn something. Or if I learn a new technique or I just pass it on for people to be able to, to share and to be happy. So when Edge contacted me, I thought, okay, why not? I can pass on what I've learned and maybe I can help someone to improve or someone just to, you know, get a, even only a hint or an idea or, yeah, just to get in contact with this, with this world. Amazing. And I'm glad that you said yes, because your, your works are really good and something that I think a lot of our students from, from Etra would really benefit from. Speaking of the, the classes that you will be hosting with us, that you will be holding with us, what will be what will you be teaching for? I know that you're having your live demo on the 18th, but you will have your mini workshop sometime in fe February 7th, right? What will you yes. be sharing and teaching? So my for my mini workshop, I choose a rose hip. I have yeah, small example. Okay. To see. So yes, we will do something wow. like that. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I choose a small subject because, um, as you said, my technique is full of details, so it's pretty much time consuming. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to promise a big painting and that we are not able to focus. So I choose something small, but where I can uh, explain my technique, which is um, mainly transparent watercolors, the use of underlayer colors to bring to life the subject and then for sure the details. So this is what we will do. And it's a bright also subject. So to show that we should not be scared of painting bright colors, like red and orange and green, always so careful. Yes. Because when you take, yeah, when you take the process step by step, then you can do it. And we will use only primary colors. So we will mix our greens, we will mix our oranges and reds. So which is another thing I know many students are really scared of. Yeah, and that's pretty amazing. And I'm glad that you're looking at it from a from a student perspective as well. Um, when I was starting out, I was so scared of like mixing some colors, but knowing that your class is going to be using primary colors, which I believe everyone has in their palette, then it's going to be easier for them, especially with your guidance on how to mix those colors to achieve a brighter color. 
and the details. I know for, for a lot of beginners, this is something that people don't really dabble around that much because details can be very scary to add in the details. But I know that with the techniques that you will be teaching with them, it's it, they will, it will provide some guidance on how to achieve. If you want to learn how to paint that, then go ahead and subscribe to Elena's mini workshop that's happening on the 7th of February. Now, let's take a few steps back, um, Elena, when you started doing watercolor and given, I, I like when you said that since you've been on the water for five years and sailing, navigating through the world, it's just sort of, you know, um, expected that you're going to dabble into something that's related with water and you ended up with watercolor. But take me through, how did that, how did you get started with, with watercolor? I mean, what were the subjects that you started painting? Were there any sort of research that you did? Did you watch any tutorials? Or is it something that the first time you did it and you just, you know, fell in love with the medium? Yeah. So um, by the time I started, we were facing the first lockdown here in New Zealand. And just before going into lockdown, I went in a stationery shop or art supplies shop, sorry, which I love. And I've always been fascinated by watercolor, but I've always been scared because of this fact that I felt like I cannot control the, the water. And uh, for a person who likes controlling and details like me, it was scary. But then I said, OK, come, let's buy them and I will give it a try. And when we went into lockdown, I said, what better moment? Let's try. But the downside was that I was not able to go to any course because obviously we were isolating. Uh, so I started to, to take online courses, to watch other artists and um, yeah, and simply sit down and try to, to paint and to get better. And I've been always interested or I've been directly interested in botanical watercolors because this is what I liked. And but also this is what I said, what I, I fascinates me. So nature. And uh, yeah, so I started slowly, slowly practice every day, even a little bit. And now I'm trying to dive more and more into it. Thank you, Elena. So I, I like when you said that initially it was a bit challenging for you, but you took that challenge and then went for it. Because yeah, watercolor can be very tri tricky because it involves water. And when you mix it, the tendency of to lose control um, is high versus you know acrylic, which I heard one artist said that it doesn't move. It's a medium that doesn't move. But you took that challenge. And now you will be teaching that, those techniques that you've learned along the way um, in a, a year and a half of painting watercolor um, using botanicals and even animals, right, yes. um, as your subjects. When you were starting out with watercolor, aside from, of course, it's a, it's a challenging medium, along the way while you will start learning, was there a point in time that you thought of, this is really a very difficult medium, maybe it's not for me and I should try something else? I ask that because I know that you do sewing as well, given Sewing Sailor is your Instagram yes. handle. Um, but was, was there any thought of that um, during the entire process of using watercolor? And if you had, how did you overcome them? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's normal in the life of an artist to have this moment, not only at the beginning, but I don't know, randomly this yeah. moment comes up. And how did I overcome them? First of all, because having been an athlete, I always face challenging. 
challenges. Sorry, I don't step back. I take the challenge and I go in front. And on the second side, I like to challenge myself. So I don't like to get to a level that I feel confident. And then I say, okay, now I can stay to this level. I always want to get better. But I also believe that it's through the challenge that you get better. So if you are happy with yourself, if you settle, you will not make the next step. So I always push myself to try the next step through a lot of failings, for sure. But I also believe that you need to fall to stand up stronger. So I think it's just a little bit of a mindset. But this is what I also want to pass on um, to our students that you should not be scared. You should not be defeated by the small fails. And this is why also I choose such a subject, which can be really scary, like mixing greens, mixing oranges, to show that if you simplify things, and if you face them, you can do that. And then it gives you really, really a lot of strength and empowers you. And then you feel stronger and you go on. Beautifully said. I, I wish that anyone would hear this, will take those words to heart, because I think it's really important that when we face a challenge, like what you said, that you don't just give up. Yes, there will be times that you will fail. And that's part of the process of growth. And I... I I just love how we were discussing this and the things that you um, tried and you're still doing right now. I mean, being an athlete and then traveling around, that was, I, I would assume that for those five years, that wasn't like very seamless. I'm sure there were bumps along the way, but you being, having that training, we're able to get around those challenges. And then Sewing. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, how did you become interested sewing in sewing? And is it something yeah. that you still do um, to this day? Yes. As I said, my mom is an interior designer. So yeah. um, she has always something to do with fabrics. Uh, she had a lot of fabrics in her. She had an interior design shop. So I was grown between fabrics and wool and cotton and um uh, I picked this up from her for sure and she taught me a lot and I love to create I simply love to create uh, and to see like from a scrap of fabric you can do a kilt or whatever so I uh, my biggest dream as a kid was to have all my art supplies and my own sewing machine okay. and uh, <laughs> at the beginning I bought myself a small one and then I got a, a big one as a present. I brought it to the boat and I collect fabrics from all over the world and I always sew on. So, wow. yes. Yeah, it's something also from my, my youth, my, yeah, my family. Um, I love that, that story because it proves that, you know, the influences that we had as a kid, that is something that we will, we can definitely absorb and, Maybe something that you will stop doing when you're, you know, when life happens, but eventually it will catch up with you. And in, yes. in your case, growing up in a creative and artistic family, um, your siblings and your parents of different genres of creativity, but you managed to pull them all together and even break away from it by being an athlete. So there's just like what I said, so many layers in your in your character, in your values as an artist and as an athlete, that I'm sure who's anyone, anyone who's listening to this episode, they will definitely pick up a lot from, from, from everything that you have shared so far. In all of your travels, what would be the, the biggest lessons, I would say, or biggest takeaway from, from all the journeys that you've done um, traveling across the world? 
Yes, so I would say there are two. The first one is to be thankful because we are too often forgetting what we have, what we see, where we are living, and uh, the big luck that we have, and traveling in third world countries and seeing really difficult situation, uh, we learn to appreciate even more what we have. And the second one is to never give up, for sure. And this is part of my athletic stories, but also, my personal family story, my husband's story, and the travel. Um, you know, as you said, we had many ups and downs or difficult situations during the travel, but we never stepped back. And this is what brought us not only in front, but also to be stronger, to be more self-confident. And this, this is what I do in everything, in my heart, in, in everything. Just go for it and go on and trust in yourself. Thank you, Elena. I think one one other thing that I picked up was that, given the, the training that you've had as well from the past, um, there is this tendency for others who, who to aim for perfection. But from what I'm hearing from from you earlier, you know that it's never perfect. It will never be. But that's that's part of your growth. So can you share a little bit more about that as an insight to anyone who's trying out any form or genre of art or creativity who probably is thinking that I will never be good enough, no matter how much, how many trainings or how many sessions or workshops I do, I will never be a good enough artist. What will be a piece of advice that you can give to anyone who so has this, thoughts like that? Yeah. Yeah. This is actually my biggest problem because I always say, oh, it's not good enough. <laughs> but I've learned during these years that there is no perfection or what is uh, what what does it mean perfection what is perfect for me maybe it's not perfect for you or maybe it's not perfect for another person so what I've learned and I'm still learning is to find uh, uh, what is good for me what I think is a good level and not to search for perfection in the eyes of other people or perfection uh, watching what other people do so what I think to get better, I simply have to practice. So let's not look for the perfection, but let's look for getting better. And somehow, someday, I will get there where I want to be. But on the other side, since I'm a perfectionist, I also am um, not happy just to do something, just to do mm. it. Okay. So what I want to say, engage yourself, just put all yourself in what you do, and then be happy. Because once you put all your efforts, then you can be only happy and try to to get better. Amazing and really good advice. And thank you for also sharing us the vulnerability that you are still in a work in progress because you know it, it can be based on you know from, from the chain that you've had, there's this tendency to really aim for something to be really, really good and almost perfect. But like what you said, it's never about perfection, but it's about growth and aiming to be better. Now, one other thing that I also learned about you, um, Elena, is that your works, um, those that are published on Etsy, um, they are made of, they're handmade and made from recycled papers, which is, wow, talking about advocacy to Mother Earth and to the environment, that translates to even to, to your merchandise and your products. So can you share a little bit more about that, how that came to be and um, any words of inspiration for anyone who would like to start also um, making their art and sharing their advocacy for the world? Yes. 
So since I was a child and I painted, I always dreamt to use my paintings for stationery because I love stationery, fabrics, houseware, or sorry, home, homeware. And um, when I got, so when I opened my shop, when I started my paintings, I thought, okay, but what do I want to do? There is so much on the market. In which direction do I want to go? And as I said, I've been really personally touched by pollution, ocean pollution, but also pollution on, on Earth. And I thought, okay, I want to do a stationery, which is a replica of the nature, but then it has also to be responsible and yeah, through the nature. So I choose only uh, products or paper, sorry, which is 100% recycled and recyclable uh, packaging uh, materials, which are biodegradable or recycle, uh, recyclable. And I do everything by hand, so by myself. So every product, notebooks, uh, notepads or whatever I have in my, in my shop, I do it by myself because I believe that every product has a soul. And when a customer buys one of my products, it feels like I put my soul, I put my love in what I'm doing. Uh, I'm respecting nature, I'm respecting my customers. So they buy something which is really unique and really special for themselves, for the planet, for everybody. Wow, that's, that's beautiful. And I, I know that a lot of artists um, echoes with, with your sentiment about making their art, but at the same time, making sure that it not only benefits uh, the environment, but also having a piece of yourself and then extending it to someone who will purchase um, the product or the merchandise. And I was just looking at browsing through your, their products and they, they look so beautiful. And I was just surprised that everything was handmade. Even I would assume the sewing of the, of the notebook, everything yes. is, is handmade. Wow. So when you get a piece of Elena's notebook stickers and everything in her shop you're getting a piece of her as well because she put her heart and soul into them elena it's been amazing chatting with you and i learned so much i hope that this episode will inspire others to also take a look at our environment and appreciate not just the beauty but also look at the the problems that we have um, which are really affecting the way we live and if anyone could really um put on the the responsible hat and have that, you know, awareness of what it is that we can do. Maybe just a final word from you about that advocacy as well and how we can use our passion as well to raise that awareness. Yes, I really believe that if every and each of us puts just a little bit of his day or of his life into, um, you know, making our world more sustainable and into teaching other one what sustainability is, then we will uh, we will make it. <laughs> we will make it out of this period of this situation, and we will have our planet. Yeah, yeah. And in, in any way, it can be art, it can be uh, recycling, it can be in any way. But just if every one of us does just a little bit, all the drops will make the full ocean. Oh, wow. All the drops will make a full ocean. Just a little bit. So that's just an encouragement to everyone who, who are listening to this episode. Thank you so much, um, Elena, for sharing your art, your heart with us. And that at see, I'm sure it has, you know, raised an awareness of what are the things that we can do 
um, to make our world a better place to live in. And um, we look forward to your class, which is happening on the 7th. Your live demo is on the 18th of January. So if you are interested to learn more about her techniques and her process and just how to add those details and achieve them in a very simple manner, then go ahead and watch out for Elena's live demo and mini workshop. Thank you, Elena, for being on Make More Art. And I really enjoyed Thank our you conversation. So much. Stay safe and I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was such a stimulating conversation with Elena. I learned so much and my awareness was heightened with her love for the environment. What about you? What is your advocacy and have you thought of incorporating art to raise that awareness too? Do let us know by sharing your comments through the blog post associated with this podcast at etrolab.com slash Elena. Want to know what goes behind the scenes here at Etcher? We heard you. We are lifting the curtain and giving you VIP access to do just that. Get to know who does what here at Etcher Lab. So joining me for the Etcher Team Spotlight is our content officer here at Etcher. His name is Justin Laurende, and he's a person who loves dogs. I'm sure you guys are interested to learn more about his work and his dogs. So please welcome to Make More Art, the podcast. Hi, Justin. Hi. <laughs> how are you doing and how are your dogs? I'm doing fine. My dogs are doing fine as well. Um, I think they're doing too fine. Um, they're small dogs. They're called Dachshunds. And they're those um, long, long wiener dogs. And I think my dogs are too fat, even for Dachshund standards. Really? Even feeding them <laughs> Yeah. Up. And I know yeah. that you, you play an instrument because I know that you're into music and you tend to play and they are your audience. So can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, uh, before I finished college, I was playing music and my instrument is the drums. So whenever I, uh, lately, whenever I de-stress, I just play the drums with a uh, backing track. But the thing is, it's kind of too loud, even for my dogs. That's why whenever I play the drums, they just bark a lot because they think, they think the house is on, like, is in danger or something. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, yeah, that's why they bark a lot. And it's kind of funny, but I kind of feel bad sometimes. That's good that you have, on, you have an audience when you play the drums, so... Whether, yeah. they, <laughs> whether they like it or not, they don't have a choice. But yeah. okay, thanks, thanks for sharing about them. Uh, I have a lot of dogs too. And, but talking mm -hmm. about your work uh, as a content officer, I know you are the person behind the recordings that we, that our audience or our students can watch every time that they subscribe to our website, they watch the mini workshop. So can you share a little mm -hmm. bit more about what you do? as a content officer? Because I would assume there's more to that than just editing the recording. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the first half of 2021, I was responsible for all of the, uh, for basically all of the recordings, both for the, um, for the short class and the long, the long classes one. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I also handle mini workshop ads and other requests. Usually the ads, the, the ads that you see on Facebook, where yeah. it says um, "Go to Etcher now," it's probably uh, chances are it's probably made by me. And the I ads are, are really important because it creates that awareness that we do have the mini workshop. Yeah. Right. So uh, without with the ads, to that, yeah, yeah. With regards <laughs> to that, I also made the ads recently for inviting our 
um, audience to join mm -hmm. the Facebook group that we have where, 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 yeah. where you can interact with the artists who are also doing workshops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That one is so, really I find find it really cool for for them to be able to have that personal conversation through the Facebook group, and people are really learning from from that group alone. What's a typical day for a content officer? Since you do a lot of editing videos and well, creating content for for Etcher, do you have like a strict timeline that you follow, or what's your typical work dynamic? Hmm. I try to follow a certain schedule because I, um, I already have an idea how long it takes for me to, for example, edit a recording. Mm -hmm. But it usually doesn't go that way. So uh, as, long as, uh, as long as I get to finish the task that I told myself I'll be doing today, that's, that's, uh, that's my goal. But usually the day starts with mostly meetings with mm -hmm. content team. Then I get to talk with, uh, with Anya and the others regarding the upcoming projects that we'll be having. Yeah. Then probably after lunch, it's all about recordings because recordings do take a lot of time. I have, I have, to, basically, I have to basically watch every workshop recording, especially now because um, we need... Uh, there have been more recordings lately. Yeah. There have been there have been a lot of workshops lately. So I have to and everything's just uh every artist is different. The I thing agree. is uh we don't really we don't really follow a certain formula to how the artist goes about with his workshop. So mm -hmm. I can uh I, I just can't have a template to how I'm gonna record it. It really depends on how the artist flows. And yeah, yeah. For the most part, it will take the entire day just to finish uh, one or two recordings. So that's, that's really amazing. I, I, I mean, I have sort of an idea of about video editing because I, I do some edits as well in for the podcast. But I believe it's different for like watching the entire video of a mini workshop, and it's the same with like wedding, like the SD, same they edit or some sort. Like you're you're trying to tell a story, so you have this recording but at the same time you want to have a flow and make sure that it's the, the personality of the artist and the flow of the techniques mm. as they are doing it will actually be showcased in your recording so you are not only a content officer but you're also a storyteller in I, order I, for I'd you like to, to think so as well yeah because i mean if you think about it you like what I, li I like the point that you made that every artist is different so you taking the time to watch their videos and trying to mm -hmm. really see how am I going to, which parts I'm going to cut, which part did I connect to or mm. whatever type of edits that you're going to make really takes intention and that mindset that I want to tell a story. So my other question, Justin, is what do you like most about being a content officer and being part of Etcher? I think it really is just about the community because prior to working with Etcher, I was working on a what, I guess you can say an, uh, a dead end nine to five job where mm. it's not even it's not even fun at all. Like mm. it's just go to work, do your do your thing, then go home. It, there's nothing really there's nothing really like uh, substantial about it. But ever since I started working with Etcher, everyone is just very friendly. 
like um, the first few months I was with Etcher, I was actually scared because it feels so surreal to be working with all, all of these talented people while at the same time, it's not toxic. It's really it's uh for me it's 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 really alien of me to find a workplace that isn't toxic and Etcher is the total opposite of toxic, which I really appreciate. I'm still getting the hang of it, but I really appreciate the community we have. Yeah, likewise. I, I love being part of the team because everyone, yeah, absolutely so kind, generous, creative and talented, and you can really learn. Like just talking to you right now, I'm learning so much about what you do as a content officer so few steps back how did you end up by the way and when were you, when were you hired because i i was hired during the pandemic so i'm, I'm a mm-hmm. pandemic hire what about you um also a pandemic hire i oh, okay. started i started january 2021 um, towards the end of january and i was just looking for a work because i left my previous job because mm-hmm. it was very toxic um my job prior to this was I was basically the the company's entire marketing team, and they oh, wow. were they were relying everything on me, and I just can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I was just looking. Uh, initially, I was just looking for a part time job because I didn't want to stress myself out that much. But then, uh, I saw this listing, and it says. I think it said it was flexi time. Task was actually uh, I was supposed to be only a graphic designer creating ads, but when I entered, I started doing more video recordings because I think they saw my potential in there. That's yeah. why they they that's why they dedicated all of my working time towards video editing. They really saw so. that that potential, and it really translates with the type of recordings that we can see with our mini workshops and with the ads. Another question, I guess, that I like to ask you, Justin, are you doing any form of art? I know you love music, but when and you've been doing marketing in a previous company, so I would assume that includes, of course, you know, um, any type of art. But what about traditional art? Have you yeah, tried so, since you've been watching the video? <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Um, I'm uh, actually gra- I actually graduated with an arts degree. And oh wow! Truth be told, truth be told, I don't draw. Really? I don't draw. I don't. I don't paint. I don't do any type of that. I tried sketching once. Yeah. My bet. My bet. My best one is probably doing an anime character. The way a fifth grader, the way the way a fifth grader does it, like it's really, it's really, it's really bad. Like so, you're messing with really me. S- you you graduated with an art degree. Yeah, but the thing is, I was majoring more on, uh, video production and photography. Ah, I see. So it's an so, it's yeah. a different art genre. It's a diff- yeah, it's a different yeah. medium. So yeah. I was media. more in, I was more into photography than eventually I ventured into videography. So, but I, if yeah. we're if we're talking about traditional art, you know, but you haven't tried haven't tried any of the recently. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, I'm probably gonna give it to the because I've been watching a lot of recordings. Yeah. It came to a point where I actually bought a, a set of Posca markers because. <laughs> Because like I just want to try it because yeah. I was just looking at the recording like, 
maybe I can do it as well. So yes. I bought my own set of markers. Then uh, I think it's Balchen art. I forgot the artist, but because uh, because her artworks were very colorful and they looked simple enough, so I gave it a try. But yeah. that's as far as I go, to be honest. <laughs> but you found your niche in edit and video editing, so I think that's really the type of medium that you really would want to pursue further. Mm. Justin, thank you so much for being on the show and for caring about your dogs and <laughs> you know your job. Sometimes when you think about content, I think about like social media part of it, like what you post. And but with with that show, we do a lot of content, like videos, more in videos. And there is really a person who is behind all of those. So thank you for making sure that our students get the best of the recordings and the learnings from that recording. It was nice chatting with you, Justin, and speak to you again soon. Yeah, in any of our meetings. Yeah, soon. Thank you, Justin. Bye. Thank you. Bye. We would love to hear your thoughts, so please drop us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast or you can find us on YouTube at Etra Studio. And, oh, hitting the subscribe button is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again next time. Until then, let's make more art.